We're going to continue this morning in our Indeed series. Um, this has been, a, this has been a, a tough series, I know. Uh, I've had a lot of feedback. I've had a lot of people that have called me this week like, uh, hey, really? <laughs> We're still doing this? Yeah, we are. This is important stuff. Um, and I want to just give a quick little recap. We're talking about what the Bible talks about. We can't be free indeed unless we know that indeed we can be bound. We can't indeed be free unless we recognize that there's areas of our lives that we can be bound in. Um, and so we've, we've talked about the pride of life. When we, steal, when we steal God's light, when we have our little flashlight, and instead of pointing it to Jesus, I'm pointing it at me. And in the hard times, I'm pointing it at me, and it's all about me. We've talked about stealing that light from God, having the pride of life. Last week, we talked about the lust. Whoa! <laughs> I almost just bit it just here. <laughs> and then we talked about the lust of the eyes, which is money, and we talked about finances and generosity and giving, and I know that was uncomfortable. Today we're going to get even more uncomfortable as we discuss the lust of the flesh. Um, I want you to realize something, though. There is an enemy that's alive and he's active, and he wants you to be under the influence of the demon. He wants you to be under his influence. And I'm going to tell you something. He hates you. He absolutely hates you. He hates God's Word. He hates that we're taking steps in our freedom and in steps in our victory. And so I just want to tell you, I'm so happy that you're here. There's a reason that you're here this morning. There's a reason that you're watching online. The Lord is happy that you're here worshiping Him and getting to grow in Him. And the enemy is so mad, and he's scared of you. So I just want to encourage you. Make sure you're here. Make sure you're watching online. Make sure that you're plugging in because the enemy's mad and he's scared of you. We're done. I'm done letting him win in my life. I know that we're done collectively letting him win. And we want to go into the house where he's been thieving, grab him, and throw him out. He's done. We're not letting it happen anymore. Today's message is called Open Door 3. Uh, this is the last of the open doors that we're going to discuss if you're taking notes. Uh, we're going to be in f- a lot of Scripture. Here's the five that I would write down if I was you, the five main ones, but we're going to be in a couple more than that. <laughs> we're going to speak very candidly about a very tough subject. Uh, it's one that I believe we all have struggled with, are struggling with, or will struggle with. Statistically speaking, I'm going to read you some numbers. This is a very prominent issue, especially within the church. Um, and so I think it's really, really important. But I want to tell you first off, um, there is a difference in condemnation and conviction. I'm going to speak very, very candidly today, and I'm probably going to get fired up. That's why I almost fell a few minutes ago. I'm going to get fired up because this is something I'm passionate about because this is something I've struggled with. It's something that I wrestle with, that I fight, I fight for because I want to be free in this area. I know we all want to be free in this area. So I'm going to get fired up, but I'm going to tell you something. that There is zero condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will move in and he will convict and he will say, hey, this might be an area that you need to work on, but he doesn't do it rudely or meanly or whatever the adverb is for that. He does, he's not mean when he does it. The Bible says he teaches us to walk like we're children. And when you're teaching a baby how to walk, when he falls, you're not mad at him. You don't spank him because he fell. You don't scream in his face like, how can you not walk yet? You're proud that he took two steps in the first place. And this is the way that Jesus works with us, and Jesus walks with us. So there's no condemnation at any point in this message. It's only Holy Spirit's conviction if there's anything. Uh, I want us to think about a story. I'm going to tell you a story real fast. There's a man, and he's in a bar. Um, And he goes, and he gets, he's pretty, pretty drunk. Uh, 
he's at the point where he's not really sure what's going on. And across the bar, he sees a, a beautiful young lady, and she's also getting pretty drunk. And the night goes on, and slowly they make their way to each other. You know, they kind of lock eyes. It's like a whole fairy tale. They lock eyes from across the bar, and they're like, I, I got to have that person. And she looks at him, I got to have that person. So slowly but surely, they make their way to each other in the middle of this bar, and they're dancing, and they're talking, and they're getting more and more drunk as the night goes on. And finally, it's the end of the night, and she asks him, hey, will you, will you come over to my house? You want to come? Come stay with me tonight. And he's, he's so excited. It's like this is the whole reason that he's at this place. I mean, this is everything that he's been wanting. So he's excited. He's ecstatic about it. And they keep dancing for a little bit. They say they want to stay there for a little bit longer. Finally, it's time to close. The bar is closing. And the bartender walks up and he flips on the light. They're the only two in there. But when he flips on the light, the man begins to see things about the bar that he's in. And realizes some things. He realizes how trashy this place really is. This night of memories and this night of fun, he looks around and he thinks, well, my goodness, there's throw up in the corner. This place smells horrible. There's broken glass. There's bar napkins everywhere. There's probably peanuts. I mean, everything. This place is a disaster. And this was a place that just a few moments ago he thought was wonderful. He thought was so great and so beautiful. And then he looks at this this woman who, who he thought was so beautiful, and he, he thought, oh, I'm so excited, I finally get to be with her, I'm, I just can't wait. And he looks at her, and she's pale from throwing up, and her clothes are disheveled, and he looks at her, and he's like, that's, that's not who I thought this was. This place isn't where I thought I was. Everything that I thought I wanted changed when the light came on. He realized something about the place that he was at when the light came on. Today, we're going to talk about lust, and it is going to be tough, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but I want us to realize something. There's a light that can come on in our minds, and when that light comes on in our mind and in our spirit, we can look at the place that we're at and realize that we're in a prison. It's not as beautiful as I thought it was. This is not what I wanted it to be, but it takes the light coming on. We are the man in this scenario, somebody who's so excited about lust, so excited that we get to participate in this. But the light comes on, and he realizes, this is not what I want. This is not where I want to be. Today, that's my hope. Uh, I hope that today the light comes on in our, in our heart and in our spirit, that we can realize that the spirit of lust is a prison. That we, the spirit of lust is a prison, and we can't be free unless we break out of, break out of it. I'm going to be candid again. This is a struggle and this is a battle. This is something I face. We all face. Again, I believe every one of us has struggled with this, will struggle with it, or is struggling with it currently. There's no condemnation, but there's freedom. We can have freedom from this, and that's what I want to focus on. If you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, if you've got your Bible. If not, I'll read to you. You can hear me. You're so lucky. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. I'm going to give you a little preface before we get to this. Uh, Older adults in the room, I'm saying older adults. I'm being very specific in how I worded that so I don't get chewed out. But if you look at the culture and the generations below you, usually the thought is they are so, like, sexually active. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. True? Not of heads or, yeah, that's what we think. We got nothing on Thessalonica, okay? I'm just going to tell you this. 
This passage is written to the church in Thessalonica. And there's a reason that it's written. In this time, rape, molestation, these are not just allowed. They're actually encouraged. It's like a good thing. It's, yeah, you did it. Prostitution is happening in the church. Like, it's, it's a practice that the church does. They do communion. They do tithes and offerings. They do prostitution. I mean, like, literally, it's that. That's the kind of culture that we're in. We've got to have the context before we read what's written. We think that our culture is, is, is sexually active and sexually charged. We have nothing on Thessalonica. But in, verse, in, in chapter 4, verse 3, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Watch this. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but rejects God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. It's safe to say that the people in Thessalonica were bound. But verse 8 says, there is a way that you can be free from this. There is a way, and that way is the Holy Spirit. But you can't reject him. If you choose to reject this, you're choosing to reject the Holy Spirit, the only one that can actually lead you to complete and total freedom. We have the ability to control our sexual desires. But if we don't control them, they will control us. That's it. If you hear one thing today, remember that. If we don't control them, they will control us. And he's saying right here, there's a way to be free, and it's the Holy Spirit. All right, Proverbs 7. I'm going to read this entire chapter, um, and I'm going to break it down a lot, so don't worry. But this, this chapter, it's titled, Warning Against the Adulteress. Uh, this, is, this is a passage about lust. Uh, this is something that King Solomon, who's writing this, actually saw through his window, and he's writing about it, warning about the spirit of lust. Start in verse 1. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Okay, stop right there. He's making some comparisons. He's saying this way has wisdom and understanding and knowledge, and this way has none of it. We need to know that the spirit of lust robs us of wisdom and understanding. It really does. And if you've ever struggled with this, you can attest to that. It does. It leads us away from wisdom. It leads us away from understanding. Verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking alongside in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. I want to tell you something. He's not judging. He, he mentions this young man who lacked judgment. He's not saying that he lacked judgment because he was a young man. He's not saying that it was just a young man's thing, that he was just stupid. He's saying he lacked judgment because he's going to the wrong place at the wrong time. The spirit of lust will lead you to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you kind of begin to plan around it. You begin to think around it. I'm not talking about a physical place, but you know what I'm saying. You begin to plan, this is when I can do it. This is when I can do that. We begin to plan when we can sin. We begin to think about, when, when, can I, when can I sin today? When can I do this today? That's what the spirit of lust does. Verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. All right. I'm about to get fired up. That's why I'm wearing short sleeves today. <laughs> 
I'm going to say something very, very politically incorrect at this time, okay? And, and I, here we go. We are in a movement in our nation right now that is a good, it is a good movement where women are coming forward about abuse that they face. And I'm telling you, if you have faced abuse in your life, you need to come forward about it because it is wrong. You didn't deserve it. It shouldn't have happened. You need to know that. Okay? Men, you need to be held accountable. Quit messing around. Quit hurting people. It's ridiculous. It is unbelievable. And it's happening in the church. I'm telling you that. Christian men are hurting other people. But I'm also going to say this. Ladies, as women of God and as Christians, the Bible calls us to be at a different standard. It calls us to live at a different standard. What that means is, ladies, we don't have to dress like prostitutes. We don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be saying this. But we don't. And I'm going to tell you something. No, you cannot excuse somebody's activity because somebody was wearing something. You can't. It's wrong. But Christian women are held to a higher standard. That means we need to look differently than the world does. We do. And so, ladies, there is no reason whatsoever to go out wearing something that accentuates your body. Zero reason. It's just not. Men. Men are actually doing this as well. There's no reason. And you know what? We're doing it on social media. It's not even necessary that I'm walking out and I'm in a Speedo, which you would all die, but I would like... <laughs> but it's, you know, we'll post, we'll post a picture in the mirror of, of, you know, like a man will post a picture in the mirror and he's got his shirt off and he's showing off his, his stomach. And I'm just telling you, there's no reason for that. We're called to be at a higher standard. We don't have to look like the world. We can't look like the world or we're not making a difference, okay? So, verse 10 just lays it out. There's no need for us to dress bad. Absolutely not. And the Bible talks about don't lead others into sin. Don't, don't be a part of somebody else sinning. And so if, if, if ladies and men, if we're wearing things that causes somebody else to struggle, the Bible says we're actually in the wrong too. So there's no need for that. All right, verse 11. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I have fulfilled my vows. I want to tell you what this means. Basically what she's saying, fellowship offerings is also called a peace offering. So what she's saying is, I actually went to church this morning and I paid my tithe and I paid my offering and I actually brought some peace offerings that we can give for after we sin. This is what she's saying. She's saying, I've got everything taken care of so that we can do this and then as soon as we're done, we can offer up this peace offering. If this is you, you're deceived. I'm sorry, but you've been deceived. And I've, I've been here, I've been in this place where, you know, I'll just, I'll just pray afterwards. I'll just repent afterwards. You're deceived. Repentance doesn't mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I plan to do this, but I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance means I'm going this way. Whoa, I'm going this way. That's repentance. We can't just sit and plan when we sin and then plan to offer up something. Afterwards, we've misunderstood the heart of God if that's what we're trying to do. <coughs> I'm going to tell you something that the statistics I'm about to read about sexual activity and lust, um, it, is, it is startling, but the more startling thing is that the numbers aren't any lower within the church. The spirit of lust is rampant in the church. It's rampant in the pew. It's rampant in the pulpit. I'm telling you, you can Google right now. You can leave church and Google pastors that are caught in 
all kinds of things. And you'll see it. It's rampant. This is something that we have to put an end to. When you prepare to sin, when you make plans to sin, you've left the door wide open. You've left the door wide open and you're being deceived. Verse 15. And again, I want to clarify before I keep going. There's no condemnation at all. I get fired up, but it's not, there's zero condemnation. I also get fired up about, you know, Texas Tech. So we're fine in this. I'm just telling you, I'm passionate about this because it's a struggle. This is a real struggle. Verse 15. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. All right. Lust always masquerades as love. Right now, again, in our culture, a guy, if a guy wants to do something with a girl, the quickest way to get it to happen is he says, hey, I, I love you. I love you. And it's like a way of manipulation and a way of, oh, please. It's basically begging. Lust is not love. It's not we, call, we actually call having sex, we call it making love. If you're married, yes, you can, that's, that's making love. Outside of that, it's not. That's, not. that's not making love. That's acting in lust. It is. And we've got to call it what it is. We've got to call a spade a spade. Verse 19, my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. I'm going to tell you something beautiful about the, heart of, about the heart of the Father. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins, that God's love for us covers a multitude of sins. And I'm going to tell you something. We need to be thankful for that, that all of our junk is not always out in the open. It's not. I'm thankful for that in my life, okay? But if you think that your sin is going to go unseen, it's not. It might go unseen by human eyes. Because of God's grace, it might go unseen. But he still saw. This whole passage is about... King Solomon, he's looking through the window and he sees all this happening. We have a king and he's looking through the window and he's able to see this happening. And again, he might not expose you. He might, in his love, cover the multitude of sins. So where people aren't judging you, people aren't seeing you. And if he does that, thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. But he doesn't have to do that. And your sin will not go unseen by him. It will always be seen by him. Verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced, seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her, watch this, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, like an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into his snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Again, King Solomon is writing this and he looks through his window and what scholars believe is after he saw this, he had both of them killed. He had, him, he had him executed because of this. I'm going to tell you something. The spirit of lust is life-threatening. It may not physically kill you, but it will kill your marriage. It will kill your family. It will kill your joy. I'm telling you, it will kill your joy. It will kill your peace. The spirit of lust is life-threatening. That's why we have to take this thing very, very seriously. And we'll end with verse 24 27. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your hearts turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. This is a very, very serious sin. Um, it's very serious, and we need to take it seriously. 
I'm going to do a little exercise. Don't do what I'm about to say. Don't do it, okay? It will be very awkward if you do. If I asked everyone to stand up, and then I said, sit down if you have had less than eight sexual partners, statistically in this room, two to three people would sit down. Less than eight sexual partners, two to three people would sit down. If I said, stand up and sit down if you have an STD, statistically one-third of the people in this room would sit down that they have an STD. 40 million Americans are sexually involved with the Internet. I'm going to say that again because that is a very huge number. 40 million Americans are sexually involved with the Internet. Eight in ten men view pornography monthly. But the problem is we've often focused on this just being a man's issue, but one out of every three viewers of porn is a woman, and that number is growing. The number is growing. This is not just a, a man's issue. 13 million women click on pornographic sites each month. Again, know this. There is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. I can't say it enough. Jesus is so in love with you, and he's just so ready to wipe clean your sins. To, and he'll, he'll cover them, and he'll wipe them clean, and boom, they're gone. But we have to recognize first that there's a problem. That's what we're doing today, and that's what we have to be serious about. His Holy Spirit's going to convict us and, and tell us where we need to change. I want us to think of lust again. One more just visual image. You're a parent. You're a new parent. Aw, so happy. And you hear your baby next door, and she's playing with a rattle. She just woke up. So you walk in. You're like peeking. you got those little baby monitors you're like looking at. You're like, I can't see what she's playing with. So you walk in, and you turn on the light. What you thought was a rattle was a rattlesnake. And she's sitting there, and she's playing with it. If that doesn't describe the spirit of lust in our lives, nothing will. Problem is, we play around with it. We think it's okay. We think this can't hurt. And then we turn the light on and we realize how deadly what we're carrying is and how bad it can be for us and how dangerous it is for our hearts and for our faith. We have to turn the light on and leave and leave the room. That's what we're trying to do. <coughs> All right, there's three words that describe lust, uh, and those are going to be our three points for today. Number one, Desire. Desire. Lust actually is not, it's a neutral word, okay? Uh, it can be good and bad in, in the Bible. For example, in Luke 22, Jesus is talking, he says, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. He sa- that word would be translated as lust. He, he lusted the opportunity to eat Passover with him. So it's not necessarily a bad word. God gave us a good and a healthy desire for sex, but I'm telling you, it can never be fulfilled in a lustful way. Way, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature despises what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. That sounds like a horrible verse. So that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Let me tell you something. We have to be led by the Spirit. So we're not led by the flesh. The flesh will lead us in the wrong place. Always. It will always lead us to the wrong place. When we're led by the Spirit, we're not. And it says, so you don't do what you want. And we're like, well, that doesn't sound like any fun. I want to do what I want. Absolutely. And here's the thing. In the end, you do get what you want. And it will be better for you, it will be better for everyone involved, if we're doing it the right way. But if we're not, it will never leave you satisfied Romans 6.19 says, You presented yourselves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now present yourselves as members 
Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We have to choose to be members of righteousness and slaves to righteousness, not slaves to lust. All right, that's number one. Number two is deception. Deception. If you want to turn back to Proverbs 6. I'm going to read about nine verses. There's one verse in here that sticks out like a sore thumb, and I want you to see if you can spot it, because it's very weird. It seems like it makes absolutely no sense. Verse 23. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes, for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire in his lap without, burning, without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. See, the verse to me that sticks out is verse 30. And he says, if someone steals so they can be satisfied, you're fine. That's what he's saying. If someone steals to be satisfied, that's excusable. That's understandable. And it seems like in our brain, great, then I can justify it. I can say, you know what? Okay, this is, this is what I need. This is going to satisfy me. But he's actually saying, it's not going to satisfy you. He's not saying, if you think this is going to satisfy you, it's okay. He's saying, there's no chance it's ever going to. He's saying, this is it. you're being deceived if you think that this is the way that you'll be satisfied. Lust grows. Okay, If you feed something, it gets bigger. I think we all know this. If you don't, hello, check out my stomach. Since I've been in Kwana, I have been feeding it. It has grown. When we feed things, that thing grows. It's the same thing with lust. When we feed lust, it continues to grow. The desires continue to, to grow. It's not ever, boom, and you're done. It just will continue to grow. How many lies of one last time have we believed? I'm just going to do this one last time. I'm just going to watch porn one last time. I'm just going to sleep around one last time. It's never the last time. It never is. And it won't be unless we depend on the Holy Spirit to help us. But we've got to realize first that this is a problem. We're being deceived, and we've got to get out. Ezekiel 16, 28 says this, You engaged in prostitution with the Assyrians too because you were insatiable, which means unsatisfiable. And even after that, you weren't satisfied. Lust is an empty promise. It's an empty promise that will never leave us satisfied. All right, point number three. The third word is death. James 1, 14. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Again, this is not something that leads to, like, physical death. It's not like you're going to be watching porn and then all of a sudden you're 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 just not living anymore. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is, how many marriages do you know that have died because of this? How many relationships do you know that have died because of this? How many loves do you know that have died because of this? How many businesses do you know that have died because of this? How many people's joy has been taken because of this? This is, this is a killer because of having 
Instead of having the right mind, we have the wrong mind, and we're being robbed, and we're in bondage to this spirit. And I'm telling you, it's affecting every area of your life. We think we can compartmentalize our, our life, and you can't. When this spirit comes in, every part of you is affected. There is a connection. I'm telling you, there is a strong connection to the spirit of depression and the spirit of lust in people's lives. That doesn't, not always this way, okay? I'm not always saying if you have depression, it's because you have a spirit of lust. But I'm saying if you have the spirit of lust, there is a very high possibility that you're one day going to struggle with depression. There is a huge connection with these. Your joy, your health, your finances, they can all be affected. I'm going to read you some numbers. And again, I need, I need you to hear that there's no condemnation. There is so much grace. Jesus is so good and he's so faithful to us. And the moment that we choose to accept him, we're wiped clean. Just like this illustration I just did. We're wiped clean. The soy sauce is out of the jar, and we're clean. That's, that's what he does for us. But there's a cost in our world. There are over 700,000 abortions every year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Not all those are directly connected to lust, obviously. But there's a large portion of them that are. If you are in this room and you have had an abortion or you are in this room and you have paid for an abortion or you are in this room and you know somebody and you are affected some way by this, let me tell you something. There's no condemnation, but there's healing that you can have in your life. I don't want you to go out of here feeling condemned and feeling down. There is healing and there's so much grace and there's nothing that you can't do to, to take away God's love for you. You can't. So there's, there's no condemnation for that. I've, known, I've worked at, again, before I worked here, I worked at a pregnancy center. I met a lot a lot of people that came in and they were broken because 40 years ago they had an abortion and they've never talked about it and they've never been free. I'm telling you, there's freedom for you and there's healing for you. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. But this is one of the costs of lust. There's over 700,000 abortions every year. Single-parent homes. 40% of kids are born directly into a single-parent home. I'm telling you something. Single parents, if you are a single parent, you are doing an amazing job. You have a very, very hard job. And we're proud of you. We are so, as a church, we are proud of you and the work that you're doing and the way that you love your kids. But I'm going to tell you something. A big cause of this is lust. Dad leaves, mom leaves because somebody else, somebody else was more attractive in the time. Somebody else was more wanted in the time. STDs. A vast majority of STDs belong to people, belong to millennials, uh, people that were born after like 1990. But here's a shocking number, 60%, 60, 60% of people that have an STD don't know that they have it. 60% of people that have an STD don't know that they have it. You know what that means? They're going to continue sleeping around and continue getting more and more people infected and more and more people are going to die and be affected by this. I'm telling you something, this literally is a killer. People are dying because of this. It compromises our emotions. It affects our self-view. It teaches us selfishness and not sacrifice. But here's the thing. All of this is hard, and it's hard to talk about, and I know we're uncomfortable, but there's hope. And repentance is how we're saved, but there's a way that we can be free indeed here. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We can be free indeed here. And here's the fourth point, deliverance and discipleship. Deliverance and discipleship. There's a pastor named Jack Hayford, and he says this, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. You can't cast out the flesh, and you can't disciple a demon. Often churches have two little camps. Basically, that this camp says, you just need prayer, and if you pray enough, you're going to get out of it. By the way, that's a lie. It's, 
we have to live things out sometimes. It's not just because you're not spiritual enough. If you're struggling with anxiety and depression, by the way, in a few weeks, we have a series. It's going to be amazing. I'm weeping. It's going to be amazing. But listen, it's not that you're not spiritual enough, okay? That's not what it's about. But it's also not that you've just not tried hard enough and you're not disciplined enough to get over it. It's not. It's both. We do have to have things cast out of our lives. We are under the influence. We have things in our lives that we need to get out. We also have to be discipled. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, deliverance, and the word of the testimony, discipleship. It takes both for us to overcome. (coughs) You can't be discipled, though, if you've not been delivered. Stronghold, the word stronghold, we use this word often, and it actually is another neutral word. It can be good or bad. See, because often we sit and we pray. I think I just prayed it a few minutes ago. Lord, you're our, you're our stronghold. You're the one that we turn to. The one, And that, that's a great, he's the, he's the best stronghold. You need to have him as your stronghold. But the problem is, after work, when you're tired and you're grumpy and you may have gotten laid off and nothing's going your way and your family's a disaster, it's easy to choose the wrong stronghold. And often the one that we turn to is the spirit of lust and we choose to grab onto that. I want us to think about stronghold like, like a train of thought, okay? So that's kind of, our, our minds are like, what's that giant train station? Grand Central Station, thank you. We're from Texas, we don't know. <laughs> what's a train? Okay, so we have these, and all these trains of thought are going in our brain, and we have to choose which one we jump on. And our destiny, our destination, depends on which train that you board, And so when things are going on in my life, I have the decision, do I want to board the train of trusting Jesus to be my stronghold and He's good and He's faithful and He's going to get me out of this and I I trust Him or do I want to jump on the other one that leads to death for me, death for my marriage, death for my hope, death for my joy? Which one do I want to jump on? The Bible says, this is part of discipleship, the Bible says that we're supposed to take every thought captive. This is, one of the, this is the first way that you need to begin to fight this. Take every thought captive. The word captive right there actually means at spear point. At spear point. You know why that's cool? Because the Bible calls this a spear. This is our spear. And so this is how we fight. We take our thoughts captive with this. I'm going to tell you one of the, one of the first ways that you need to begin to fight this. You're at home, you're alone, you begin to struggle, you begin to have thoughts you shouldn't have. Memorize one verse of Scripture and repeat it out loud for as long as it takes for that thought to leave your mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you keep saying it over and over and over again until you begin to believe it. He is my shepherd, I don't have to want. I have Him. And this is how we fight. This is how we can begin to fight this spirit in our lives. Take our thoughts captive at spear point. Memorize the scripture and say it out loud. There's victory in this area. I'm telling you there's victory. And it is a fight. It is a fight. But there can be victory. Again, there is no condemnation. And and the Lord is so gracious. And sometimes he does cover a multitude of our sins. And I'm so thankful for that. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to be healed from it. There's healing that can happen. There's freedom that can happen. But we've got to take the step to do that. You've got more questions or more thoughts or, or you're concerned or you're angry at me or whatever it is, I encourage you to come tonight. Come to our evening service that we have at, at 6. 
uh, a lot of it is, I, I, we leave the floor open for people to, to yell at me and, and throw things. And Please, no one has ever done either one of those things, but, well, at least at the meeting. But I encourage you to come. Uh, we're going to talk about things. We're going to get open and honest if you have questions or concerns. But for now, let's pray. Jesus, we do love you, and we're so thankful for you. And God, I, I just thank you that your heart is, is not to condemn us, uh, that, that we, we can't disown your love. Uh, we can't be disowned as a family member because you love us so much. God, I just thank you for your love and for your grace. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us of areas of our lives that we need to grow. You would convict us of things in our hearts that we need to change. We trust you and we love you and we submit ourselves to you. Speak to us now. Show up in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.